He came the first time to offer you the gift of eternal life. But when he comes that second time, the door of opportunity to receive him closes. He is giving a warning. Please accept my gift of forgiveness now. For when I come back the second time to judge the world, it's too late. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Have you ever felt uncomfortable or embarrassed to let people know that you're a follower of Jesus? The most important task the church is commissioned to do is tell people about Jesus the Messiah. So what does this mean for you and me? Here's David with the conclusion of his message called, Jesus Cried Out. Whenever you see Jesus say, I have come, it's talking about his job description. It's saying why he entered this world from eternity as a baby in Bethlehem in human flesh. And he says here, I have come into the world as light. So the implication is this world is dark. Satan is the ruler of this world. Um, we see in Colossians 1.13, for example, that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness of the enemy. In First Peter, we, we've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. So the light of the world, Jesus in John 8.12, the light of the world, Jesus said, I am that light, comes into this world, in the darkness of this world, and light always overpowers the darkness. For what reason? He came to do two things, to give us the next step how to live in this world in all of its darkness, and also to give us the pathway home. Dear friends, this world in all of its brokenness, its sin, its decadence, its depravity is not in its present condition our eternal home. Jesus came to take us home. My brother Howard, who died a couple of weeks ago, did a CD. It's entitled, Finally Home. And in his death a couple of weeks ago, I finally realized when I looked at that CD, he's where he's always longed to be. He wanted to see Jesus more than any person I know. And he's now seeing Jesus. He's finally home. His true home is in heaven. Jesus came to take us home. He came into this world as a light to show us our next step here, how to live, but also to give us the path to our eternal home. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That if you believe in Jesus, his light will give you guidance here on this earth until you finally go home to God who is perfect light. Jesus came to, again, take us home, but not also not to remain in darkness here in this kingdom of godlessness. He came to expose what life, true life, is really all about. Look at verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus says here, if you just hear his words and you just say you believe, but you don't keep them, you don't obey them, that's proof in his mind that you don't really believe. Dear friends, believing and obeying what Jesus tells us to do biblically are inextricably connected. You cannot say you love Jesus and walk a godless, dark path. You just can't do it. You not only hear his words, but you keep his words in order to be faithful to him. I was stop, stopping at a Cracker Barrel one time on a journey with Marilyn, and we went inside and had a meal and then walked out, and I saw a placard I'll never forget. It said, after all is said and done, a whole lot more is said than done. After all is said and done, a whole lot more is said than done. And I thought to myself, 
that could be a placard that too many Christians could hang up in their house. We hear what Jesus says, we talk a good game, but at the end of the day, we don't keep, we don't do what he tells us to do. We're not saved by our good works, for God is holy. We can't ever do enough to make ourselves holy for God to approve us. He has to do the whole work for us by grace on the cross. So we're not saved by our works. That's impossible. But dear friends, we are saved for good works. And that is a truth that is taught throughout the scriptures, especially in Ephesians 2.10. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved for good works. And good works prove that your heart truly belongs to Jesus, the one who commands you to do those works. Here are the two religions of the world. The first religion says that we work to be accepted by God. That's all the other world's religions except Christianity. Christianity says we work because we've been accepted by God. Huge difference. We don't work for God's acceptance. We work because of God's acceptance. We don't work to earn God's favor. We work because God's favor has been given to us graciously through Jesus. And that is important that our works show our faith. So let me ask you, those of you who say you believe in Jesus, how do your works prove your faith in Jesus. Would anybody look at your works and what you do and say, that person's a follower of Jesus? There's no question about it. That's what he's trying to say here. But he's also saying, I do not judge the world now. In this sermon, and he's said it previously, again in John 3.16, then in verse 17, after he presents the gospel in John 3.16, for God so loved this world in our sinfulness, going to hell. He so loved this world that he gave. God's the ultimate giver. Generosity flows from the heart of God. We should mimic him in that way. He gave his only begotten son that whoever, there it is again, anybody who believes in him will never perish but have the gift of eternal life. Won't go to hell, won't perish, but go to heaven and live with him forever. Then in John three seventeen, Jesus gets into the idea, I did not come to condemn the world. I did not come in this first setting to judge the world. I came to save the world. See, there are two comings. The first coming, called the first advent, is Jesus coming from the Father, sent by the Father into that Bethlehem stable to live the life we can't live, die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and give us the gift of eternal life. That is a love gift. Remember last week we saw how Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry? Whenever a king conquered a city, he would ride a colt or a donkey saying to the people, I'm coming in peace. I'm coming in peace to give your city shalom, blessing, oversight. But if he comes in riding on a white horse, he's coming as the judge. And he's saying to the city and all of its constituency, I'm coming to judge each one of you and place you under the submission of my judgment. Uh, interestingly, Jesus in the first coming rode on a colt. He came humbly in a stable. But in the second coming, and he promised to come back again, there began something in Genesis 1-1 called history. And history is linear, not cyclical. And there's a beginning point, a first day of creation, and then there's going to be a last day of creation. And on that last day, Jesus is returning to restore this world to its perfect order. And Revelation 19 says he's coming riding on a white horse. He's not coming as the Lord of love. He's coming as the just judge of the universe. And dear friends, you need to know, he came the first time to offer you the gift of eternal life. But when he comes that second time and the trumpet blast sounds to signal his coming, the door of opportunity to receive him closes. And that's part of what he's saying here. He is giving a warning 
please accept my gift of forgiveness now. For when I come back the second time to judge the world, it's too late. It's too late. So as we watch our world and all of the pain and suffering that's around us, and we read Jesus' warnings saying these things are going to happen in increasing frequency and intensity, and we see in Luke 21 as one of the places, along with Mark 13 and Matthew 24, there's going to be great deception. More and more people are going to fool around with who Jesus really is. Uh, There's going to be, interestingly, probably a lessening of the preaching of the gospel, people wanting their ears tickled instead of really believing in Jesus. There's going to be an intensity and frequency of nations rising up against nations and wars happening all over the world in frequency and intensity. Uh, There's going to be in frequency and intensity of earthquakes, and we noticed just a a few days ago, Mexico with a seven-point-something earthquake. Another one, just after two weeks in Haiti, we are seeing the intensity and frequency of earthquakes around us. And then he also says pestilence. And as this COVID crisis persists, and we have more and more variants from Delta to Mu to some 2022 variant, they're saying now that will shut everything down, perhaps. We're all watching and going, what does this mean? And Jesus said, as these pestilences increase in frequency and urgency, look up, be ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to return as judge, riding on his white horse? Are you ready? And that's the warning he's giving here to these people publicly, and he's giving to you as well through me right now. Look at verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Such a clear teaching. If you reject Jesus' offer of forgiveness, and you don't receive his words, you have a judge. Jesus is that judge. And though he came the first time as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he'll come the second time as the Lion of God who roars with judgment upon all the sins of the world on that last day. And people say to me, but David, there are lots of good people throughout the world. Dear friends, there's no one good but God. All of us have fallen far short of the glory of God. And there are, yes, atheists who might even live better lives than I live because there's a common grace that exists in creation. But the question isn't how good am I? The question is, am I forgiven? When you share Jesus with your friends, that's the question. Not how good they are, not how righteous they may seem. The question is, are you forgiven? For the only people who get into heaven are people who've been forgiven by the cross of Jesus. I didn't make that up. Jesus taught that. I'm only giving you his words, and there's the power of the changed life when you realize this crosses power within us. Jesus came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Don't reject him anymore. Dear friends, receive him now before that last day, because with that trumpet sound, it's too late. Verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So so this is a very interesting verse, which again insinuates a kind of hierarchy in the Trinity where the Father has all authority, but he delegates it to Jesus, though equal in authority, to be the judge over all of this world. And Jesus here is saying, the Father who sent me, there's that phrase again, is the one who tells me what to say and what to speak. So every word that I have just told you that's a quotation from Jesus is from the lips of the Father. For Jesus only said and only did what the Father told him to say and to do. And verse 50, And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. 
So what is the commandment that the Father gave the Son, Jesus, to speak in this world? The gospel. The gospel. The good news that through Jesus and his cross, our sins are forever forgiven. We have a new identity. We're not defined by our intersectionality here on this earth. We're, we're not defined by our gender or our gender roles. We're, we're not defined by what's happened to us. We're defined by our new life in Christ. And God's way of solving the race problem, for example, is to bring all people together of all different colors and ethnicities and backgrounds to come to the foot of the cross and realize Jesus' forgiveness. And we receive that love from the Father and we choose to love one another no matter what our differences may be. We refuse to let skin melanin define us as different. We are one in Christ, male and female, Jew and Greek, black people, white people, Chinese people, Indian people, all people together for the glory of Jesus. The commandment of the Father was to Jesus, go preach the gospel, the good news that your sins are forgiven. And Jesus did so in perfect obedience to the Father, carrying out his will for our lives. Dear friends, I believe with all of my heart this world can change. And I believe it can change through the gospel of Jesus. But it will only happen if people who say they are true followers of Jesus live for him, are under the authority of God's word, let Christ, not culture, define us. Let his word, not the world, define us. And live as a group of people in a family of God called the church, serving this dying world with good works, acts of care and love and kindness, acts of justice. I think here of an Indian man that Marilyn and I met in the nation of India. Um, his name was Raju Joseph. Uh, he grew up in a home where his father died at an early age and he began to get mistreated. He ran away, jumped in a rail car, fell asleep, and it took him hundreds of miles away. He worked different kinds of menial chores and tasks, was beaten up regularly by different groups in higher spheres over him, different castes. Um, he finally came to faith in Jesus. A man shared Jesus with him, and he formed a church. Marilyn and I went into his little church, and there he proclaimed the gospel. I'll never forget the message. It was Deuteronomy 28, how followers of Jesus should be the head, not the tail. <laughs> we, we should be those who are living victoriously, not as victims, but as victors. It was a powerful message as I heard it through the interpreter that day. Oh, interestingly, uh, Raju Joseph not only preached the gospel to his neighbors to bring them to faith in Jesus, he also became a community activist. This is a true community activist where he would go every day to the town hall in between his hours of picking up trash and garbage to try to sell, making about a dollar a day. But he would go to the city hall and demand that the street in front of the houses where his neighbors lived be paved, and demanding that they receive water, and demanding that they receive the other elements of medical care that people throughout India might receive. And he kept demanding it and demanding it and demanding it. And he was like the persistent widow in Luke 18. He demanded it so often, so loudly, that finally the governmental officials gave in. And I just received this week a video of a paved street in front of Raju Joseph's house. And his house, which was a dilapidated shack when Marilyn and I went in there with his group of 30 or so people listening to him preach the gospel, is now a stone mason building, a genuine place where he and his family can live and the people of God can gather safely. Raju Joseph. He chose Joseph as his Christian name because he looked at Joseph, the character in the Bible, and saw all the evil that had been done to Joseph, but he believed God still would work it for good. And he's done so in 
Raju Joseph's life as well. That's the kind of example we need to have here. A people of God with the power of Christ in us, living in obedience to him and transforming our community. This community, Charlotte, Rock Hill, Fort Mill, Mint Hill, Waxhaw, Ballantyne, all these areas surrounding us, glorifyingly changing them for Jesus. Oh, Lord, may that be the call of our church forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name I ask this. And one more thing before I give the final amen. Our hope gift this week is going to two places, and it fits right in with my message. The first $10,000 we're giving is to Samaritan's Purse, and that money is being used to help them fly in to Afghanistan and find Afghani Christians and get them out before the Taliban comes in to kill them. And they are doing that on a regular basis, oftentimes secretly, and we are honored to be able to give them $10,000 to help them with this cause. The second $10,000 is given to Global Catalytic Ministries. They do a lot of work in Iran, where we're seeing the explosiveness of that church, especially with women. But in Afghanistan, they're doing something very unique. There are a good number of Christians, around 1,500, they think, from Kabul, who fled to the mountains. And in those craggy mountain crevices, the people can hide. But they are in danger as winter approaches of not making it through the winter. So this ministry is going to bring food, water, and clothing to the 1,500 Afghani Christians who are hiding in the mountains that the Taliban can't find them and then waiting for ways to get them out in other um, ways that uh, are being explored right now. So... We thought you'd be pleased with uh, that $20,000 gift, 10 to Samaritan's Purse, 10 to Global Catalytic, which addresses a lot of the needs in Afghanistan right now as best we can do to help our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering. Brothers and sisters who are standing firmly in the power of the Spirit, obeying Jesus no matter what the cost. Lord, may we be that kind of church in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about today's e-devotion. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart? Tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, Thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry and and more importantly about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? 
The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries. You can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. It's wonderful being with you as well, Jen. Well, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you quoted a professional golfer friend of yours saying, it's not how you drive, it's how you arrive. So I've got to ask, what is the life lesson here? (laughs) Well, it was a statement that at first I didn't really understand because I'm not really a golfer. Um, I'm a fairly tall person. I played basketball through college, uh, but I never enjoyed golf because I just couldn't get the repetition of the swing down. But the truth is nevertheless there. He said, it's not how you drive, it's how you arrive. And this professional golfer friend of mine was trying to make this point, the importance of the short game in golf. You can have a really bad drive off the tee, look hopeless for that hole, but if you have a great short game, those next several shots that get you closer to the green and especially your putting stroke, you can still end well and come close to par or even par that particular hole. Well, this is what is the spiritual life lesson. Jesus said that I have begun the good work in you. Then he says, let me be faithful in completing it in you, Philippians 1.6. So if you're nearing the latter years of your life, here's the point. Finish well. Finish strong. You can still hear Jesus, well done, my good and faithful servant, Matthew 25, verses 23, 34, and 40, which should be the master passion of everyone's life. That's because it's not how you drive, how you've lived your life up until now, but how you arrive, how you'll finish the rest of your life until you go be with the Lord. That's what counts the most in life. You want to hear at the end of your life, Well done, my good and faithful servant. So once again, a golfing analogy that gives us a spiritual truth. It's not how you drive. It's how you arrive. I like this a lot, but I'm feeling a little hopeless because I just played putt-putt with my son and my putting game is not. (laughs) <laughs> this is a golfing illustration, Jen, not a oh, putt-putt sorry, illustration. Sorry. No, this is really, really good and something that I've actually echoed to a friend recently, and they are coming to the end of their work. Their job is coming to an end, and I just said, you have a legacy behind you that you're leaving make sure you finish strong, finish well, because I really do think the end is what people remember the most. They do. And that's not to say that how we live life before the ending years of our lives are unimportant, Mm -hmm. but we are saying that how you end is extremely important. You want to make sure that it is the cherry on top of your life's Sunday, if you will, (laughs) that it is the most important legacy you want to leave with your children, and you can still end well and even make up for some of those years where maybe you drove the ball into the rough Mm -hmm. and you weren't playing the game as well as you should have. Mm -hmm. It's to give people hope. And what people mostly remember with your life are those 
latter years. And especially if you didn't follow Jesus in those first years, follow him now. And most folks will remember your faithfulness now, and you will hear the well done, good and faithful servant. This is really good, and it really does produce hope. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jen. And if any of you would like to receive these daily written moments of hope from me, from my heart to yours, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They will arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. free of charge. Its only purpose is to give your heart a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for truth to be embraced in our country. 